Welcome to Increase Capacity, the arts and humanities audio program that explores ever-expanding levels of beauty, truth, and goodness. This is episode six, and it's July 10th, 2017, and we're broadcasting, as always, out of WXPI Studios in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. The song you're listening to right now is called Wait For Me by Draft Squad. Jesse Turry, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Dan Lewis. How's it going? <laughs> what are you up to, man? Oh, I just got off work. Yeah, got a, I got a new job. Um, I don't know if you remember from the first episode, yeah. I said I was between jobs, but now I'm not between jobs. I'm on. You're in the middle of a job. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a job. <laughs> oh wait a minute! In the that's, middle of that's training. kind of like the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. That thing doesn't make sense. Between jobs, I guess, because yeah. like that would say that would mean like yeah, you're in the middle of two jobs, but now you're just in the middle of one. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. That's good. That's, that's where you, kind of where you want to be, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to be employed, you know. Yeah. We, we record these things at night, and um, which is nice because it's nice and quiet in the studio, and I, I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. Peaceful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Peaceful, easy feeling. Yeah. As the Eagles once said and sang. Oh, yeah. I think it was the Eagles. I don't know. One of those bands. One of those hippy-dippy 70s bands. Oh, yeah. They were great. <laughs> Well, I guess we can tell people a little about the show. The title of the show is Increased Capacity, and it comes from a philosophical muse of mine, a 20th century mathematical physicist named Alfred North Whitehead. Whitehead has a very aesthetic and consciousness-centric definition of evolution. He describes evolution as an increase in the capacity to experience what is intrinsically valuable. So with this in, man- this in mind, Dan and I you know, uh, break the show up into three segments beauty, truth, and goodness. Or some may choose to think of them as soul, mind, and heart. These are recognizable as, you know, the three primary values or transcendental ideals, we might say, that have been recognized since antiquity in cultures throughout the world. So tonight, like always, Dan and I will bring one thing from each category to talk about. And, uh, you know, ultimately the goal of the show, uh, besides hopefully being entertaining, is to increase our capacities, right? To appreciate or or realize greater and greater levels and blends of these three intrinsic values by exploring new ideas, learning about new people, uh, you know, whether they be artists, writers, thinkers, and hopefully clearing the way for new and zesty experiences. Dan likes zesty. I like zesty. We like zest around here. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Um, I think we're ready to get in the format, Dan. Yeah. Let's do it. This is the beauty section. Beauty. We're back with the beauty section. Dan, you want to do the honors, man? Sure thing. Um, yeah, so I, <laughs> I usually jot down some notes for all my mm-hmm. um, subjects, and I, I think I'm just going to wing this one because, I don't know, it's, it's um, subject's going to be, you know, it's going to be mm-hmm. difficult to talk about. But uh, it's, it's a subject that's very controversial, but it shouldn't be, you know. It's, um, and I just want to talk about my um, experience with, um, you know, growing up what I believed, Mm -hmm. you know, how that changed, um, how I felt about the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, I went to church and we were taught, you know, to love everybody, Mm -hmm. but, you know, uh, you know, we were really taught that, you know, being homosexual was, was just wrong. And it just, you know, growing up, it led to me, you know, again, not hating, but just, in, in a sense, despising people mm-hmm. who who were gay, and I didn't want to have anything to do mm-hmm. with anybody who was gay. I would I would probably consider myself um, as a homosexual. I mean, uh, <laughs> edit that. <laughs> I would probably consider myself as you know homophobic. Okay. Which I now know is a word that you know it's it basically just means you're an a hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you know, growing up, I um, yeah. you know it wasn't until you know I've, and I've shared this with with a mm-hmm. 
mutual friend of ours mm-hmm. that I was going to talk about this, and I kind of shared this with him first because mm-hmm. I, I felt like I needed to tell him. But um, our, you know, our first guest that we had on here, Jeremy, um, I remember meeting him well, probably about what ten years ago or so, and uh, we were actually renovating space here in the Pajama Factory for uh, Valley Mosaic, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I got to to meet him. Um, you and Natalie had been friends with him uh, prior to that, and mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't until afterwards that that um, I think shared with me that he was gay, and I I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And my um, even though I was kind of in a transitional phase at the time with with my beliefs, like my brain immediately went to okay. How am I going to talk to Jeremy and convince him well, not to be gay? <laughs> you know? Yeah, okay. And I look back now and I'm thinking that's the most ridiculous thing. Uh-huh. And but I just you know I got to know Jeremy over the years and he's been a great friend. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just it's hard to think that you know loving God could have hate or any kind of ex- exclusivity. You know, with with that, you know that that he would just exclude yeah. somebody just because of that. It, it, right. It doesn't make sense. And, you know, I really should have wrote notes because, I, <laughs> like I said, I'm winging it here. Yeah, no, but, I agree. Yeah. So just to clarify, you you were raised in a pretty, like, conservative, evangelical yeah. environment. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Conservative, like, fundamentalist. They, they were, like, they take the Bible literally. Yeah, and that kind I, of, I don't that know if I would have said fundamentalist, it? but okay. definitely conservative. Okay. You know, leaning more towards mm-hmm. that way. And mm-hmm. just, you know, I went through... Uh, period of in my life, and I'll, this might be something I'll bring up later. But I mm-hmm. went through a period of life where I just completely deconstructed everything I believed, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, in the process of reconstructing that. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, I always will be. But um, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I'll never go back to the same way that I was. Right. And just last year, um, you know, after the, uh, I think it was about a year ago, the mm-hmm. the shooting, the Pulse shooting down in i believe it was miami was it? yes right yeah um i believe it was the spectrum alliance yeah here in williamsport that put together uh, a vigil here in the courtyard at the pajama factory mm-hmm. and when i heard about it i just i felt like um i felt like i had to be there just to show support and right. so i showed up and um and the reason why i, I chose this for my beauty segment was yeah. because what i saw there was beautiful yeah all Absolutely. these people coming together mm-hmm. and we had time of prayer yep. um, for the people who were lost, you know, time of prayer for people here locally who feel oppressed, mm-hmm. you know, because of who they are, not because of a choice they made, but because of how God made them. Right. You know? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I just, I think that was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and of course, Jeremy was there, and he was he was mm-hmm. psyched that, yeah. that I'd showed up, and yeah. you know, he introduced me to a lot of his friends, and yeah. it was just great. Um, and so, you know, I just I just really want to encourage people mm-hmm. that you know, I'm not going to tell you what to think, what to believe, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying that I went from one way of thinking to another, mm-hmm. and it's because I learned mm-hmm. about you know somebody I didn't. Um, yep. You know, I. I mean, Jeremy, to me, he's one of the godliest people I know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Good pick, Dan. Thanks. Oh, my goodness. I, it takes a lot of courage to, 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 to say this, to admit this, yeah. you know? Um, and, you know, I, I, I was kind of in the same boat as you for a long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, and to be honest, I mean, I think our whole culture is, was really, you know, it, homosexuality and, and, you know, has not been acceptable. It really mm-hmm. hasn't. I mean, uh just since as long as I can remember it really hasn't yeah. like growing up I mean the word the word gay was is an insult right to, to yeah. call someone gay is like an insult you know it's a it's um I mean, we guys would always call each other that yeah but mean it in a derogatory way yeah we would do right? that and too, the f yeah. word right you know the f word is now like unspeakable I, mean, I never I never say yeah. it but I used you're, to say you're it talking about the the three letter version not the, the four letter version right yeah well yeah. <laughs> what they call what they call cigarettes in the yeah. UK yeah yeah I mean but um it, it it's it was a derogatory insult mm-hmm. to call people that word you know that name yeah and um and I used to do it you know and it's embarrassing to think about that but um you know I, I'm I'm the same way I've changed so much and I, and I credit I credit uh you know my my faith a great deal for that mm-hmm. um and just you know pushing myself to to meet new people different people um and constantly expanding my in group 
you know? Because yeah. so often that's what happens. You know, religion, as, as wonderful as it can be, it can be very divisive and it can create, yeah. it fun- it, it's very good at creating in-groups, mm-hmm. you know, and camaraderie and community. But it's also at the same time good at creating out-groups, you yeah. know? And that's, that's terribly problematic. Yeah. You know, if you don't have a faith that is constantly pushing boundaries and constantly increasing yeah. those in-groups and, you know, going from an ethnocentric to like a, you know, a world-centric to even to a cosmic-centric, you got to keep growing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or else you're going to keep having in, in-group, out-groups, yeah. right? With any religion. Right, right. I, I know when, uh, I, I wasn't raised in like a conservative evangelical background. I was raised, my, my parents were um, pretty, they were raised like in Catholicism, like pre-Vatican mm-hmm. II, and it goes back even before that. My mom um, was raised uh, sort of, well, my, her father had a, has a Jewish background and uh, a sort of a, nat- she inherited some like Jewish mysticism from him, but she was right. raised Catholic um, and my dad as well. But they, they grew up in the 60s and they were hippies. Mm-hmm. So they, they ditched that. They totally trashed their, you know, left that Catholicism behind right. and became hippies. So my mom was, <laughs> the, my mom was kind of um, into new age, uh, you know, mysticism and religion and uh, like paganism um, and my dad was more scientifically oriented so right. he was more secular they were both secular um, but uh, when we came along the kids my sister and I they raised us uh, they, they wanted to raise us in the Christian faith and they took us to like a, a country Baptist church huh. surprisingly because they, yeah. they moved to the country as hippies and, um, and that's where I learned like all the Bible stories you know went to Sunday school and uh, it was you know it was fine you know I was too young to really become indoctrinated other than like the Jesus stuff. But surprisingly, my mom took me also at the same time, uh, simultaneously to a Quaker preschool. Hmm. And I, and I was indoctrinated by them with their, like their peace, hippy dippy love stuff, right? Like, you know, the pacifism and, yeah. and that whole, like believe what Jesus said kind of stuff, you know, like help the poor, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, <clears throat> but, um, later on I did, I did, um, become exposed to like evangelical Christianity and quote unquote got saved and uh yeah hung around with that crowd for for a while mm-hmm. and so i i know how it is i know how it is to to, to be in a community that believes the bible literally you know yeah. and, and thinks that homosexuals are like are sinners you know that kind of right, thing right and i would often hear that the the term or the phrase love the sinner hate the sin brandied about <laughs> have you heard that oh, that yeah. one yeah i've heard it <laughs> yeah and <clears throat> People would love that. They would say, listen, I don't, you know, I, I, I love you, but, you know, it's just, you know, you, you're, you're still a sinner. You know, I'm a sinner. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. How does that make us any different? But it's like, you know? yeah, and it's, it's incredible because that's easy to say um, if, you don't, if you don't know anyone, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, if you don't know, a, you know, a gay person. Um, but as soon as you do, you start seeing that that's, that's just how that person is, and it's not to call someone a sin is like they're or a sinner is it's really insulting yeah it's, it's degrading yeah it's, it's violent to say that yeah just to add to that you know a lot of evangelicals also use mm-hmm. the story of sodom and gomorrah to mm-hmm. against homosexuality when you know the fact was what that the sin of that city was that they were mismanaging their wealth really well in hospitality and hospitality they, they turned they, the angels away yeah yeah it's a sin about turning away Aliens, exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. So I had nothing visitors. to do with that. Um, also, I think about Jesus, who, you know, um, hung out with the mm-hmm. outcasts of society, mm-hmm. and it's not God, and it's not Jesus that that made made these people uh, the outcasts of society, but it's mm-hmm. society who who made them outcasts. You know, yeah. And Jesus just he loves everybody. So yeah, yeah. There's nobody that's uh, no one person's different from the yeah. other as far as how he loves them. So. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. We, we, we do. We tend to, to define people um, by their sin category, yeah. right? And I, this, this, this legalistic sort of view, I mean, yeah. pro- Protestantism, it's, Protestantism has it bad, you know, and, and it's certain streams of Protestantism, I should say, and, and mm-hmm. Catholicism. But, you know, like you get into this Calvinistic, you know, stream of Protestant Christianity, and it's bad. Right. You know, you, you start seeing, you start thinking in terms of, of legalistic contracts, instead of like agape love covenants yeah it's completely different you know uh, a covenant is, is all about love and all about trust mm-hmm. and a, a contract is all about you know um, agreeing to do certain things and if you don't do them there's trouble right, right. and um, 
but yeah, we, we define people by their sin category, you know, gays, conservatives, liberals, and it really does allow for a completely uh, different experience. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. It allows, easy, allows for easy dismissal, for one, yeah. and easy, very easy to other, otherize people, mm-hmm. you know, dehumanize them subsequently. True. True. But yeah, great. And yeah, just, you know, one thing, one thing when I'm with Jeremy, you know, around Jeremy, when we're at Valley Mosaic or book study um, and we're all leaving, I always make sure to give Jeremy a big hug because, <laughs> you know, just it reminds me that I'm not the person I used to be. Yeah. And that, you know, I love Jeremy for who he is. Cool, man. I'm not trying to change him. <laughs> That's great. Because, you know, don't need to. Gotcha. I love it, man. Thanks for, thanks for bringing that. Yeah. And sharing. Okay, well, I'll, I'll jump in. We'll keep moving. I'll jump into my beauty pick here. My beauty pick is a poet, and his name is Dean Young. He is one of my favorite poets. I brought a poet earlier, but I, I, poetry is one of, the, one of the things I enjoy doing. I enjoy reading poetry and writing poetry. Uh, I'm not that good, but uh, I enjoy reading it quite a bit. Um, but Dean Young is, is fascinating to me. He's one of my favorites. He was born in Columbia. I've seen him read live. I've met him. Um, and... He's from Pennsylvania, Columbia, Pennsylvania. He um, has written a, he has a couple published books, and let me let me read about a bit about him here. He wrote a book that uh, I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of. He wrote a book on poetry, so he's written some. He's published some books of poetry, but he's also written like a, a philosophical sort of aesthetic book about poetry, and, and and I love it. I'm sort of going through it. I've read it once, and I'm going through it again. But uh, uh, Dean Young, he was born in Columbia, Pennsylvania. He did an MFA at Indiana. He's recognized as one of the most energetic, influential poets writing today. His numerous collections of poetry, um, let's see, include Strike, Strike Anywhere, that came out in 95, and he was the winner of, a col- of the Colorado Prize for Poetry um, with that book. Skid came out in 2002, and, and one of his mo- most famous bo- uh, books of poetry is called Elegy on a Toy Piano, and that came out in 2005. Mm. I have that one. And uh, the book I'm reading now is called Recklessness, Poetry as Assertive Force and Contradiction. He's uh, strongly influenced by the New York school poets and surrealists, such as Andre Breton. And Young's poetry is full of wide leaps of illogic, extravagant imagery and merciful shifts in tone. I'm sorry. Yeah, mercurial shifts in tone, not merciful. (laughs) Uh, Merciful, I guess. (laughs) Could also also fit there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But anyway, so I want to read a, just a piece here that he, this is from, from his book, The Art of Recklessness, and um, he, he, he's talking about how, how anyone can write a poem, but yet, at the end, you'll see that he's congratulating people because no one can write a poem. Hmm. So let us suppose that everyone in the world wakes up today and tries to write a poem. It is impossible to know what will happen next, but certainly we may be assured that the world will not be made worse. I believe in the divinity of profligacy, the creation of art, okay, just the attempt at the creation of art, as well as the appreciation of it is both an enlarging of the world and an expanding of consciousness. To write a poem is to explore the unknown capacities of the mind and the heart. It is emotive empathic exercise and like being struck by lightning it will probably leave you stunned signed but also a bit brighter and to your odds of being struck again then go much higher sometimes when we feel disappointed with a poem with our effort feel that the poem fails us it's because it seems to fall short of our intentions but those intentions are often vague and speculative And any attempted actualization of those ideas can't help but be anemia. Let us forgive ourselves for writing poems that aren't better than every other poem that has ever been written. The nagging sense of failure may not be that the poem falls short, but rather that the forms of intention are themselves at fault. Producing a too-ready verdict of failure, prescription may offer a kind of security. It presupposes, provides a certainty based on the on very little before engaging something that is not yet even there. No one knows how to write a poem. Congratulations! So that passage is from 
Dean Young's book, The Art of Recklessness. I, I, su- I suggest the book. I recommend it. It's beautiful. Hmm. Uh, and I suggest Dean Young's poems. They are also beautiful. Um, like I said, I like to write poetry, but I'm not good at it. But when I read Dean Young, he, he's a phenomenal teacher. He's, a, he's also a teacher. He came to the, to the school that I work at and did a workshop. So I got to spend some time with him cool. and learn from him. And he made me, he, good, good teachers also always make me feel, make you feel comfortable. And they make, and I, th- I think, I think they make you, they, they help you to feel confident. Right. And, and this guy really did. He That's really good. does. When I read his, his work, um, he, he, he does just that. Yeah. Um, I, I, as a creative professional, uh, I, I do design and I don't know about you, Dan, but w- when I come across people who are better at doing something than me. And in design, it happens frequently, but also in music. I play guitar, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I will see a guitar player who's just phenomenal. I can do things on guitar that I could, I could never even dream about doing. Or a designer that, can, that, that created something that I have no idea where, where it came from. Hmm. You know, like it, I would never even have yeah. the, the faintest idea where to start. It, it, it's discouraging, right? And, you know, I look, I, I look inside... You know, and I'm, and I'm like, where is that coming from? Where's that self-doubt, that fear, yeah. you know, coming from? And it's because it's me comparing myself to other people, you know, instead of me just doing what I love and, you know, and, and create things for an audience of one, be, mm-hmm. being me. And I end up trying to do that, you know, ultimately. Yeah. Um, after I, after I slap myself and say, <laughs> stop comparing yourself to other people. Right, right. Does that ever happen to you, Dan? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, all throughout our time there at, at Penn College, like, you, you know, we'd always have... Uh, you know, we'd always put our concepts up on the uh, the board, and everyone would we'd have uh, a time of you know creative constructionism. Yeah. Or is that yeah? Is that the right word? Critique. Critique. Yeah. Creative yeah. critique. Yeah. I don't sure. Know. Yeah. So constructive criticism. Constructive yeah, criticism. That's, that's <laughs> primarily how we learned, and yeah. I think that's a great way to learn. You know? Yeah. And, and fortunately, it was all constructive criticism, mm-hmm. that, and that nobody really. Yep. You know, nobody ever tore anybody down. It was never yeah. deconstructive criticism. Sure, yeah, you know, exactly. And it, was, it, was it was a big difference great. too. Yeah, and it it's was an important difference. Yeah, and yeah. I wish I wish when I was doing things, I would still have that. In fact, mm-hmm. um, when I was working at the Sun Gazette, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I had some freelance jobs that I would do. Usually, just mm-hmm. you know, free freebies that I would. Yeah, I designed a couple posters for some block parties that were going on, and uh, you know, I'd take my ideas to yeah. some of the designers there at work when I was at the Sun Gazette mm-hmm. and, you know, get feedback from them. It was, it was nice. It was almost like being in the classroom again. Sure. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. Take heed. I mean, yeah. just like Dean Young says, no one knows how to write a poem. Yeah. Congratulations. No one knows what they're doing. No one knows how to design. We're, we're, yeah, we're, <laughs> all, we're all just <laughs> making it up as we go. Yeah. That gives me, that gives me, uh, that gives me yeah. hope. <laughs> Yeah, just making it up as we got some of my favorite lines from from Indiana Jones, and they're like, "What do we?" Do? I, don't know, I forget which movie it's from, but someone's like, "What do we do next?" And he's like, "I don't know. I'm just making it up as I go along." <laughs> yeah, <you know>? <laughs> it's so funny. Cool. Okay. Well, let's um, yeah, let's keep moving. We'll move into the to the uh, truth segment. All right. Truth. We're back now. It's the truth segment, and Dan. Take it away. All right. Well, um, for about three years now at home, we've had this, um, I don't know if it's the same mm-hmm. same bird, but this robin has built a nest on top of a uh, stepladder. Nice. Uh, just under our carport. And, you know, it's had a, I don't know, what do you, do you call a litter of robins? I don't know what you call Yeah, it. I have no good, good <laughs> question. Yeah, I don't know. But it have baby robins, you know. A flock. And, yeah. And <laughs> a flock so of seagulls. We, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, so, you know, it would come and go and feed its babies and sit on the eggs. And, you know, I'd, it was kind of in a high traffic area where, you know, my, the garbage can is out there. I'd have to take the garbage out. And sometimes I'd go out and the bird would fly away. Other times it would just kind of like duck mm-hmm. down in its nest and try to act like it wasn't mm-hmm. there, you know, so I'd <laughs> try to be invisible. But, uh-huh. you know, I would, I would talk to it and um, you know, I, I'd, I'd try to reassure it that everything's okay. I'm not going to hurt it, yeah. you know. And, and I think... You know, a lot of times we we try to think that animals think the way the same way sure. we do. We try to anthropomorphize we do, them, yeah. you know, frequently. Um, if I'm saying that right, yep. but um, you know, anthropomorphs. <laughs> you know what? Okay, personifying something. Personifying. I'll use that word instead. <laughs> um, but uh, it's the attribution of human traits, yes. emotions, and intentions to non-human. Um, it's considered to be an innate tendency of human psychology. You know, we try mm-hmm. to humanize. Yep. Everything, yep. 
But um, I think one thing we do too much is we, we try to anthropomorphize God. Mm-hmm. And uh, this idea actually came to me um, from my wife, April. She said she had a, a patient um, that she had mm-hmm. uh, with hospice who, who said this, that we, we tend to anthropomorphize God. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's a problem with this. Um, so I, I got online and I was to see what's out there. Yeah. You know, what are other people thinking about? This mm-hmm. thing? And somebody asked the question, what are the ramifications of anthropomorphizing God or a deity? Mm-hmm. And somebody answered, the moment God is anthropomorphized, that God, that God generally embodies a male or a female figure. Mm-hmm. In that instance, the other sex is instantly diminished into an inferior status. Mm-hmm. That same God now having a human personality also became subject to the worst and most destructive emotions of man without any actual human being having the capacity to oppress any evil this God unleashes. God can effectively drown all life, save two of each species, and people now fear this God and appease God through endless worship. God now teeters between the ultimate superhero and supervillain with none to match except God itself. You have an omniscient omnipotent, omnipresent God mm-hmm. that has the moral compass of humanity. Doesn't anyone realize that humanity, although often good, is far from perfection? Mm-hmm. Pairing God with a human moral compass is not a good idea. Teaching the concept of a God with a human moral compass is also not a good one, unless you want to instill fear. Uh, this comes from Quora.com. That's Q-U-O-R-A. Yeah. I, it's an interesting website. I've seen a few things on there. Um, That's great. But yeah, I don't know. What are what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah. If you've ever thought about it. Oh, absolutely. I've done, I've thought a lot about that. Um, and it's good. It's, it's a good topic to think about. Yeah. Um, and anthropomorphizing things, I think as humans, we can't get away from it um, completely. And I don't know, and I, I agree with that criticism that you, that you read, that it, it, it can be problematic, yeah. especially when we sort of, um, you know, use symbols and, uh, you know, human constructs to explain or to, when we project, right, our yeah. sort of anxieties and feelings and, and, and that kind of thing onto reality itself, yeah. right? That's problematic, right? So if God becomes a, a white guy in the sky, that's not good. Because then God is, you know, then, then we can justify, you know, patriarchy very easily, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and we can justify slavery, right? If God is omnipotent and a ruler and, you know, above, above all, transcendent. Right. That's, that's problematic, you know. If, if, the choice, uh, if the choice is between anthropocentrism and anthropomorphism, I think I might choose anthropocentrism or anthropomorphism. Okay. What was the other one you were... So anthro anthropocentrism is when humans are the center of reality so okay. a lot of Christ, a lot of that's present in christianity as well yeah um you know in, in traditional sort of classical christian theism uh, humans are these special creatures that are created by god specially mm-hmm. and uh given you know dominion over creation to, yeah. to to rule it right yeah and that's that can be problematic too it can be you know the humans are you know sort of at the top of the chain, top yeah. of the, the hierarchy, as opposed to like, you know, in the middle or, or, or mixed up with everything else, right? Mm-hmm. It, it becomes more of a hierarchy than, than a chain of life, you know? Yeah. And I think about, you know, in the Bible where it says, um, you know, God created us in his own image. Yeah. Does that mean he created us to look like him or did yeah. he create us in the way that he wanted us to look? You mm-hmm. know, like the, I think that can be seen, you know, different yeah. ways. I don't know if that... I think, so, so I think like, like I was saying too, we've always, humans have always personified nature Mm -hmm. and I I don't think that's completely bad, right? Because, and and here's the reason why, because I, I, I tend to think myself as a naturalist. I'm a religious naturalist. That's what I tell people. And what I mean by that is just, well, I mean a couple of different things by that, but in relation to this conversation specifically, I mean that humans are part of nature. Yeah. We're not above nature. We're not separate from it. We're not transcendent. Yeah. I also think that God is part of nature. I don't think God is above nature. I think nature is big enough to encompass all things. Yeah. I think that nature is sacred. Okay. Um, so with that in mind, I think that um, humans have always perf- personified nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what I mean by that is that we've given a rever- reverential name 
um, to some aspects of reality. Okay. So, <clears throat> I mean, so, so like Zeus or, or, uh, you know, what's the, what's the sea, the sea god, uh, Neptune or Neptune what's or, the other uh, one? That, that's, Triton? I don't know. Maybe I'm going a little mermaid. Well, we'll <laughs> you might be going a little mermaid. Um, <laughs> King Triton. But, um, uh, but Neptune P- was... Poseidon. Poseidon. Poseidon yeah. is the one I'm thinking of. Poseidon wasn't thought to be some kind of supernatural creature, but the personification of the chaotic, un, you know, unpredictability of the sea, mm-hmm. right? Uh, people looked at the sea and they, and they saw how powerful it was and they saw how, you know, how capable it was of destroying, you know, things yeah. that they created that humans would create and it was a reverential name given right mm-hmm. to personify nature in a way that that humans could eventually relate to it on a on a sort of on a thou you know level instead of instead of a uh, uh instead of an eye level right instead of thinking of nature instead of thinking of this as a sea of the sea as an object it can then if we personify it if we give it a name mm-hmm. and if we you know uh, think of it as as a person in in, in a way, real way. We can relate to it then yeah. as a person. Yeah. So I think that is a, is a positive, you know, aspect of anthropomorphizing yeah. something. It's kind of like when we see when we say the sea is raging. It's not actually raging. Sure. It's not full of rage. It's Correct. it's the moon having an effect on the tides. <laughs> you know, it's not. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So I like. I, I agree with um, sort of you know negative theology or mm-hmm. people call it apophatic theology where. Okay. You know, you can, you, you talk about God as God being not something, mm-hmm. right? You, you describe God in negative ways. Yeah. So as, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to cataphatic theology, which, where you would describe God in, in positive ways, talk about what God is. Mm-hmm. Apophatic theology talks about what God isn't. Mm-hmm. And I think we need both. Yeah. Right. So just, so if we say that, if we say that God is love, we have to also say that God is not any sort of love that I know. God is yeah. more than that. Something we could understand. Could yeah. understand. Or if we say that God is, you know, exhibits some sort of female characteristic and some sort of male ca- characteristic, we also have to, at the same time, in the same breath, acknowledge that God is also other than. Yeah. Right? So it's... it's a, Genderless. Yeah, other than. So complete, not uh, unlike any father that I've known. Or unlike any mother that I've known, mm-hmm. holy. That's right in the Lord's prayer. You know, um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, right? Hallowed yeah. be thy name. Hallowed means set apart, different. So God is a Father, but also hallowed. That name is mm-hmm. hallowed. It's different. It's set apart. Yeah. So it's right there. So that that apophatic and that cataphatic theology is right there in the, yeah. the Lord's prayer that Jesus you know, instructed. Funny. Yeah, and it's funny because we you know refer to God as God, but that's not mm-hmm. His name. You know, it's sure, and it's, it's just you know the word that we've come up with mm-hmm. for that it's, yeah wow so yeah it, anyway. this is a good one i could go on yeah, and on about i know this i know <laughs> you, you brought a good one the- get me going on theology yeah i love it oh well let's keep moving and i will get into my truth segment and it is a blog post that i wrote and it's a little political and i haven't i haven't done much politics on this show um but this one i think is important and uh it has to do with societies because um, I've been kind of going on rants on my blog about just about how we're all a society. And some people just don't, it really does feel sometimes to me, growing up in the United States, I grew up in Pennsylvania all my life, central PA and northeastern PA. Um, but it, it does feel um, that we are sometimes a society that lives in a society, but yet wants to pretend we're not one. Hmm. I don't know about you, Dan. Do you ever feel that way? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I'm going to read this blog post that I wrote, and I'll link to it. It starts like this. One of the most common arguments I hear from people... Okay, I'll be specific. Libertarians and conservative types, who are admittedly against government helping people, and who often use the vague incendiary terms like big government, welfare state, and entitlement culture. I'm sure you've all have heard people use those terms in a sort of negative way. Is that those lazy slobs who refuse to get jobs and work hard essentially contribute nothing to society and are merely draining valuable resources from the larger societal group? Thus, they conclude, they are not entitled to anything and do not deserve to be taken care of. This is the argument I often hear. Mm -hmm. I admit that this is an easy view to have, okay, if one is thinking in abstract hypothetical terms. 
So, in other words, we can all imagine the lazy slob who simply wants to drink beer all day, eat donuts, and play video games, right? We can all imagine that person. We, yeah. I mean, I can imagine myself being that way <laughs> for, for at least a couple of days anyway. Right, right. I'll get yeah. bored. But, you know, easily, if I'm thinking about that person, I have that image of this guy in my head who's just like freeloading, you know, I can easily say, screw that guy. You know, I can say it with righteous indignance. Why should he get to have fun all day on my dime while I work hard and be responsible. Hmm. That's just not fair. Know what I mean? Right. So I find that reframing questions like this in practical terms is extremely helpful. So what I mean by this is that in all honesty, it can be hard to conceptualize something uh, like a large society, right? Quote unquote, a society. Maybe we can start with the question, what is a society exactly? Right. This is a good question, I think, mm-hmm. to start with. We, 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 oftentimes, we come to the table with all these presuppositions, right? We have assumptions. You know, we think we each know what we're talking about. Right. I, I assume you know what you're talking about when you, when you use terms. And you assume I know what I'm talking about when I use the term society. Mm-hmm. But we, in reality, we may have different definitions, right? right? So <clears throat> I personally think of society as simply an aggregate of people who form ordered communities, As someone who adheres to a process relational understanding of things, I see societies everywhere. As one might say, they go all the way down. For me, anyway. So according to Whitehead's view, this is one that I really like, the fundamental elements of reality are are aggregates of actual occasions of experience. These interdependent drops of experience form societies and become increasingly complex, so much so that biological life as we know it eventually emerges. We can view the human body as a collection of many interdependent societies. One cannot neglect the health of the heart, for instance, if one cares about the well-being of the larger self. So, extrapolating from this, we can view the world itself as a nested collection of ordered societies. Perhaps the society that contemporary people are most intimately familiar with is the family. Okay? So, this is my, my thesis. I think we can think of the family as a small society. <laughs> They are a collection of interdependent people who form a whole, okay? Families, although they can make, take many different forms, right? For example, single-parent families, same-sex parent families, foster families, adopted families, you know, lots of other families besides the nuclear-type family. Okay, so families have ordered, they have order and governance to them. I think we can all agree. So, in other words, families organize themselves and conduct themselves in various ways, So, for example, some families are very top-down and authoritarian in nature, right? We know these types, you know? Or, while others, you know, are maybe more liberal, democratic, and relational, or permissive, right? If we Mm -hmm. think about parents who have kids, you know, some parents can be permissive, and others can be authoritarian. Right. Despite the type of model a family uses to govern itself, though, one common cultural value families typically share is that families, adults in particular, have a personal responsibility something that conservatives and libertarians love to talk about, by the way, to take care of each other, especially their children and older relatives. So I'd like to emphasize and explicitly make two points here. One, societies are interdependent. The things we do affect others and vice Mm -hmm. versa. And two, because of this, we have a personal responsibility to care for each other. I'd say this value, the mandate to take personal responsibility for those who are considered family, is pretty ubiquitous in our Euro-American culture. And I'd argue that families are dependent on one another. Okay? Or as Whitehead argues in the quote above, they, are, they require a social background in which they themselves are a part. So hopefully it's pretty clear where I'm going with this. To use a personal example, okay? <clears throat> and, and again, this is very practical. I, I like to, again... The whole idea of using the family here is a practical example. Most people can identify with this. My spouse and I have two children. One is five years old and the other is nine months old. My kids are dependent on my spouse and I in many, many ways. In fact, they're both too young to do most things on their own. Now, if either of my kids are sick or injured or have to miss school or daycare, this affects me personally because I have to miss work to take care of them. Zooming out quickly to our larger societal view, we can see how this smaller, intimate example translates quite nicely. To put it in very selfish, myopic terms, the best way to take care of myself and to make sure I'm doing all the things I need to do is to make sure the people around me are doing okay too. So, I take care of my children. 
I nurse them back to health so they can leave me alone and return to the things they enjoy doing and or are required to do. Now, returning to the conservative libertarian argument again, that is, the one that says people who contribute nothing to society are a drain and don't deserve to be helped, we can again use the small society called the family to show how this argument is really just plain ugly. Yeah. Our kids contribute nothing financially to our household. Because of their young age, they can't labor to produce anything useful, or even help with household chores yet, anyway. Hopefully in the future they can. In fact, right now, though, they actually make more work for my spouse and I. Okay? They make one hell of a mess. One might say kids are nothing but a burden in this sense. A drain on the small familial society. But, my spouse and I take care of our kids. Because we, again have a personal responsibility to do so. We co-created these children, and we are responsible for rearing them and teaching them. But looking beyond this narrow, individualistic perspective, my spouse and I take care of our children because, guess what? We love them. And we realize that they're part of us on some deep, intrinsic level. Yes, our children are dependent on my spouse and I, but we're dependent on them too, for our very identities. That's right. They're a part of us. They're a part of our very being. They make us, they literally make us who we are. Indeed, we literally and concretely would not be the same people without them. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to infantilize people here, okay, with my examples. I want to be clear about that. The hypothetical example of the lazy person who doesn't want to get a job and instead wishes to drink beer all day and play video games... Look, that person's not a child. That person very well could be capable of working. The fact that our hypothetical person drinks beer all day, though, does indicate that something could be wrong and that that person may have some substance abuse problems, in which case that person may need some additional care and help in order to be a better citizen and a healthier human. The point I'm trying to make is that people typically have reasons for doing the things they do, for being the way they are and winding up in the positions they're in. If we're going to make assumptions about people, which, look, I understand may be unavoidable, unavoidable on some level, I suppose. But if we're going to make assumptions, my inclination is to assume that the situation is more complex than I know, period. And until I can understand the situation better, my default position should be what I just described. I have a personal responsibility to take care of the people in my society, even if I don't know them, because A, their well-being is tied up with mine, and B... It's the morally unjust and virtuous thing to do. We're dependent on the people around us, and when we take care of others, we're actually at the same time taking care of ourselves. So that's my truth pick. I, I think that, uh, you know, as we go about loving ourselves, we are, you know, loving our neighbors. That's, I mean, this, yeah. is what, this is what Jesus commanded, right? To yeah. love God with all your hearts, souls, and minds, and love your neighbors as you go about loving yourselves. I yeah. think this is the command. This is what we're yeah, what required I, what, to do. What I find interesting, especially mm-hmm. about that passage, was, um, yeah. I forget who, one of his disciples asked him, you know, yeah. what's the greatest commandment? Sure. And he said, you know, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Yep. And he said, the second is like it, to yep. love your neighbor as yourself. Exactly. I mean, I mean, his disciple only asked him for one. Yep. He gave him two because they're equally as important. Yep. Yeah. When we talk about our neighbor, we're not talking about the people who live to the left and right of us across the right. street. We're talking about every single person in the entire yeah. world. Yeah. You know, um, anytime that we help them, we're, yeah. you know, it's, it's pleasing yeah. to God, you know. Yeah. I mean, and, and really, I mean, if, if you approach it, you know, like we were talking about earlier from a naturalistic perspective, it's the same commandment. Yeah. Loving God is loving your neighbor. Yeah. If you believe that One God is same. in all things, if you believe in the Mago Dei, right, the image of God in, yeah. in each person, then you're loving God as you love other people. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, I, like I said earlier, I really do, I get the feeling that people think we live in a society mm-hmm. but pretend we, we don't we want to pretend we don't live in one yeah you know? and it's this individualistic mindset this idea and it's hard it's really hard I, I admit because i find myself falling victim to it yeah um we all want the american dream the american dream is inherently individualistic and against what jesus yeah. teaches we all want to live in our individual boxes right yeah and you know and have our own stuff i got mine leave me the, the heck alone you know, if mm-hmm. you don't have what I have, then something's wrong. Why don't you get a job like me and get your own? Yeah. 
And that's, that's the mindset that, that Americans have, and it's hard to resist that. Right. And, and a lot of times when people are trying to achieve the American dream, they end up making yeah. life a nightmare for other people oh, because those good way to put it. Well, you know they'll step on them to get yeah. ahead. You know it's yep. just it's horrible. Yeah, like, man. The American dream is just a it's a pipe dream. Yeah, really. Yeah, a nightmare for other people. I like I like the way yeah. you put it. Cool. All right, man. Um, well, that's that's my truth pick, and I'll link to the to the blog post. And uh, I think we're we're good to good to move on to the uh, to the. I always mess up the last one. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Let's move on to goodness. Goodness. Dan, it is goodness time. I hope you brought something good, man. I did, I did. Um, (laughs) And you might know a little something about it because I asked you to participate a little in this. Okay. uh, I just had this thought the other day of... um, things that i used to believe when Mm -hmm. i was a kid and there's there's some funny things and so i went online you know of course again to kind of back up yeah back this up and i I found a website called i used to believe.com and no it's not a website about people having you know religious (laughs) struggles it's it's not you know it's not rem losing my religion or anything like that (laughs) but i just wanted to share a few on there that i found and then share a few of my own and i asked jesse to try to think of some (laughs) uh so a few i found on this website there's one that says when i was a little girl I used to believe there was a shark in the swimming pool. Yeah. One day, my parents fortunately told me that sharks lived in the sea. And th- this is one I can relate to watching movies like Jaws as a child. Yeah. I stayed away from the deep pool in my, my aunt's pool because I, I could have sworn Jaws was over there. I saw a shadow, you know. Um, another one. I will forever be grateful to Mr. Rogers. I thought for sure that I was going to go down the ba- bathtub drain. He assured me kids couldn't. <laughs> yeah, love him forever. That's funny. Yeah. Um, this one's good. My parents said I could be anything I wanted to be, so I said I wanted to be an octopus. My parents said my parents said that means you can choose your job, not species. I then started screaming, but mommy, I want to be an octopus. And my mom would say, no, you can't. Changing your species is not possible. And we argued about that a lot. <laughs> um, Let's see, another one here. I used to believe that the little construction workers from Fraggle Rock, the doozers, yeah. uh, changed the traffic lights from green, from red to green to yellow. <laughs> um, oh, they don't? Oh, I guess not. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> I used to love that show. Yeah, it was great. Um, in about the seventh grade, my friends and I would never be able to make it through church with a straight face whenever <laughs> the congregation sang the hymn, Lead on, O King Eternal. <laughs> It always sounded like they were singing, lead on, oh, kinky turtle. <laughs> so, um, and then there's there's one that I found on there, too, and, and I liked it because my daughter, Chloe, also believes this. Uh-huh. And it says, I used to believe that when I was in the car, the moon moved with me. Oh, that's funny. A lot of times, Chloe will go somewhere yeah. at night, and Chloe always that's, be like, the moon followed us here. That was one of mine, too. Really? Yeah. Well, sort of. Not the moon, but right. I'll tell you in a minute. Um, okay. And let me... So those were ones I found on the website. These are some of the things that I believed as a child. Um, I have a couple of saying popular mm-hmm. sayings that I misheard as a as a child. Like uh, for one is the coast is clear. Nice. Uh, you've heard that one. Before, oh yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. And I used to think people were saying the ghost is clear. <laughs> I'm like, of course he's clear. He's a ghost. <laughs> um, the phrase on the double. You know, a very um, yeah. aggressive term uh or phrase mm-hmm. and i used to think people were saying i'm the devil <laughs> and so that used to be very oh, scary funny. for me when, when like people would say that yeah. like, oh, it's the devil i better you know <laughs> don't say that yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um i also used to believe that the shows i watched when i was younger mm-hmm. would later be in black and white when i got older oh that's funny and this is funny because my daughter also thinks this too <laughs> it's like i've it's she's inherited that belief from me i guess i don't know but but i used to watch i, I even remember like well morphic resonance yeah they inherit memories yeah yeah that's weird yeah that's crazy but i remember i even remember as a child like asking my mom i mm-hmm. said i said when i get older will he-man be in black and white <laughs> i asked my mom and she explained to me that you know black and white shows were that way because yeah they didn't have the technology to make you know uh, color that's great tv shows um I used to think the display beds in department stores were mm-hmm. beds for little people. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. Um, I used to think Edith and Archie Bunker from, from the show All in the Family were uh-huh. my grandparents. Oh, nice. I would watch, like, the opening credits. Yeah. And 
I could have sworn that was my, my grandma and grandmother <laughs> on the show. <laughs> That's great. Um, and one more here. Uh, from the movie Ghostbusters, it was mm-hmm. the very first movie I ever saw in theaters. Yeah. I was five years old. One of my favorites. Um, in the movie, Egon says, don't cross the streams. Mm-hmm, I remember that. Meaning, you know, don't cross the, the streams that they use from their proton the packs. The proton pack, you know? yeah. But as a kid, I thought, you know, small rivers. And I'm like, <laughs> heck, I do that all the time. There's nothing dangerous about this. It's like, no, let's cross the streams. So, I don't and, know. Then, and then it became about peeing. Yeah. Like when, yeah. You're, when you're like a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Don't cross the streams. <laughs> I think we might have done that once or twice as a kid. <laughs> nice. This is good. This is a good segment, Dan. Yeah. I, I think this could be its own podcast, by the way. It could Just be. these things, all the whole show. Yeah. I used yeah. to, and it would be called I Used to Believe. Yeah. It'd be fun. It would be. I have, I have two. I, I only brought a couple. Okay. I, my, my spouse, I asked my spouse about this, if she had any. And she had a funny one, so I would just mention that my spouse, Natalie, um, she used to think that Holland Oates was one person, that, that it was just, that Holland was the first name and Oates was the last name. Yeah. Yeah. And that it wasn't, it was just one person that would write the songs and sing. Okay. So Holland. That's, that's Mr. so Holland. funny that you... <laughs> Mr. Holland Oates. <laughs> you brought that up because, um, you know, we both listened to a podcast called Relevant. Yeah. The Relevant Podcast. Uh-huh. Um, and there was a guy in there, he... Uh, he was on there quite frequently for a while, and yeah. now he comes back and he's a guest once in a while named Tyler Huckabee. Okay. And he was talking about the band Hall and & Oates, and he thought it was, <laughs> he didn't think it was two people's last names. He thought that the band was called Hauling Oats. Oh, like, Hauling like Oats. Like a truck, yeah, yeah, Hauling yeah. Oats. <laughs> nice, <laughs> so, nice. That's funny. I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, so one that, one that I used to believe um, as a child, and I still say this, like I, I, it was, it's just ingrained in my head, so... I used to think bobby pins were called, were called Barbie pins because girls use them and right. girls like Barbies, I guess. <laughs> it shows my, my gender normativity coming out. Um, so that was one that I think is funny, and I still slip and, and call them Barbie pins. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so things, uh, my sister would use them in Barbies, too. Yeah. Yeah. The other one is similar that I had was similar to your daughter's, Chloe. So at this is this is a regional reference, but the like Homing Mall, which is not far from Williamsport, has a huge statue outside oh, yeah. of it. The, the big a, arch, yeah, it's that, a big arch. Yeah, and like driving by it, like if you're not going, if you're not pulling into the mall, you drive through it to get into the mall. But if you're driving by it on like 220 or 180, there, um, it looks like if you're looking at it, it looks like as you drive by, it looks like it's walking. Yeah, and I used to think as a kid that it was walking. That it was a big thing that was walking <laughs> with me, like alongside the car. You know, not knowing that it's oh, just perspective as I drive by. It looks like it's moving. It appears to be. Right? Um, so that was something. Yeah. But these are fun. I, could, I, I like thinking about these. Yeah. And it's <laughs> kind of embarrassing, but even sometimes now, mm-hmm. all, even at, you know, almost 40 now, yeah. I'll come to realize something wasn't the way I thought it was, <laughs> you know, even now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that I yeah. believe since I was a kid. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay, that's totally. what it's supposed to be, you know. Cool, so, yeah. man. Good, good uh, pick. Yeah, I, I mean, it. I, I always do. I, a lot of times, I come with some some heavy stuff, and then I, yeah. I gotta I gotta end it with something <laughs> light. So good. <laughs> well, the, well, my beauty or my uh, goodness pick is um, it's it's good. It's um, I, I think it's something. It's 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 inspirational. I think, but it it, it does involve some depth because I think it it, it, it it's a it's a it's important. It's something that it's it's an issue that our in our, that we're struggling with in our cultural context. And I'll just, I'll just read, this comes from the Good News Network. It's, um, the headline reads, Texas enshrines Sandra Bland Act as law after police encounter. So those, some people may remember Sandra Bland. She was, um, she was pulled over at a traffic stop um, in Texas and uh, for a, a, some sort of traffic violation. And uh, the, the, uh, the situation escalated the officer overreacted and, you know, arrested her. Um, and she later committed suicide in prison. Mm. It was just a very, it's a horribly sad story, but yeah. it, it speaks to this larger issue of police violence yeah. and especially police violence directed at black, you know, black people. Yeah. And, but this law is encouraging to me. It's, it's, you know, it's too little too late, obviously for, for Sandra, but it, it's encouraging to me. Um, uh, I'll read a little bit here. The Texas lawmakers have passed the Sandra Bland Act. It's a mental health bill that addresses issues involved with the death of 28-year-old Sandra Bland two years ago. The bill requires any Texas detainees with mental health or substance issues to immediately be given treatment. 
It also makes it easier for those with mental health or substance abuse problems to make bond. Additionally, and this is the part that's important, the legislation will require all Texas officers, police officers, to be given de-escalation training. And it will require Mm. independent law agencies to investigate police killings. Uh, This is important. This is the part that is encouraging to me. The the de-escalation training is so important. You know, we have we have police that are armed to the hilt. Yeah. You know, and they, they're frightening. You know, people with guns are frightening to me and mm-hmm. I'm just going to be completely honest. Yeah. Like I'm, a, I mean, it's, we don't, police, cops don't need guns, man. It's, I mean, you're carrying a gun. That's, that's, if you pull a gun on someone, that's asking for trouble, right? Uh, I don't understand why traffic cops need guns. They don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, having a gun in a self-defense sort of situation just increases the chances of, you know, some sort of violence to happen. Right. It really does. You know, and just police in general, oh my goodness, don't get me started. It's an institution that, that really only exists uh, at the split between those who have and those who have not. Um, I mean, historically and concurrently, the police system has served and serves mostly as a tool for the powerful, you know, especially in racial and class conflict. And this is the, this is the truth. I mean, um, I read that um, you know the United States didn't have um, p- police officers. I don't think um, for a long time they rose uh, during the rise of the nation state, mm-hmm. um, and they served to pacify um, you know populace um, in, in, in the nation states. <laughs> Um, yeah, before the 19th century, people took care of crime without an institu- institutional police force in the United States. Hmm. But that, I read that, and that was like mind-boggling. To yeah, me. you know, they, it's weird. To there think was, there were no that. cops. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but uh, I mean, today, police stations in the, in the United States they have budgets and weaponry, and weaponry that you know surpasses armies of small states. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen. There's a Norman Rockwell painting of. Mm-hmm. Uh, a police officer and a little boy sitting in yeah, an ice cream parlor one. together, mm-hmm. and I think I think he was like a truant officer or something yeah. like that. It was a story, mm-hmm. and you know he's trying to teach a little boy a lesson, you know, about sure. skipping school. I think yeah. that was the idea. <laughs> but um, somebody recreated that. Oh yeah, for Inge- modern I've times, it. where it's a this police officer SWAT with SWAT a guy like yep. just decked out, bulletproof vest gear, and stuff, and a mask, his riot yeah. gear and weapons and riot all that, gear. and he's yep. like intimidating a little black yeah, child. I've seen it; it's and powerful. It's, yeah, and it's really um, it's a good it's a good image. It's really you know it's commentary about how yep. how things are today. It really is moving. Yeah, I mean, with cops decked out like that, I mean the, the I mean yeah, the, the slightest domestic disturbance. Uh, it can it, it can be met with yeah. just extreme overwhelming violence yeah which is what happened with sandra bland and yeah, so i remember that yeah. story and it was sad um yeah this this subject is something that i think yeah. we should talk about on a later show yeah too. i mean we could probably make a whole show out of this no yeah we will yeah, yeah. I, have, I have lots more to I say a, a special a, yeah you know special episode special app yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I hate to hate to end, end it on on that. I mean, it's an encouraging note. Though, yeah, yeah. You know, um, but it, but it's an issue that we got to keep talking about and doing something about. Right. So, yeah. So that's that's the show. That's our yeah. that's our beauty, truth, and goodness, Dan. It is. Um, and uh, before we end, yeah. I wanted to do this in the beginning of the show, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to make a couple corrections. Yes. <laughs> Just to appease the geeks. <laughs> nice. Um, last week when we had, or not last week, two, a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, we had Gabe and Je- uh, Benny on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And we were talking a little bit about Star Wars. Right. And Gabe had mentioned that the Clone Wars took place between episodes three and four. Right. Uh, he realized this mistake. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's actually between episodes two and three. And so, Excellent. you know, Star Wars geeks can be the worst. <laughs> and they would just, you know, they rip would. somebody to shreds over something oh, yeah. like that. A little tiny discrepancy. Also, I, I made a mistake, too, uh-huh. um, when I was sharing about some of the dumb laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, I think it was the one in Kentucky about you cannot paint your lawn red, I oh, think. Oh, wow. And, yes, I remember and that one. I said, I said, save it for the black door. You know, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Gabe said something like, I don't get it. And I said, it's a Rolling Stones reference. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, I completely forgot that the lyrics are, I see a red door and I want to paint it black. Oh, so it's not, yeah, it's not about it painting a black door red. But I think yeah, right. if you play the song backwards, it does say, I see a red or a black door and I want to paint yeah, it red. that fixes so, it. So that's <laughs> my defense. So, yeah, anyway. Nice. <laughs> cool, man. Good. I appreciate the corrections. We will do that, um, you know 
as we go and as we uh, will inevitably make more mistakes i'm sure yeah um but uh yeah so i guess just wrapping up we'll um we'll let people know that increased capacity is on facebook it's facebook.com slash increased capacity uh dan is on twitter what's your twitter handle it is dan lu mm-hmm. seven eight d-a-n-l-e-w yep. seven eight cool and i'm on twitter jesse turry j-e-s-s-e-t-u-r-r-i and i'm on instagram facebook as well uh and you can visit jessieturry.com uh, for uh, some other stuff design I, I, I do graphic design and i blog so and um let me just also say wxpiradio.org is the website where uh, the website that hosts this show and i encourage people to go there and support community radio by donating volunteering or underwriting uh, wxpiradio.org very important and glad to be part of the Williamsport Community Radio family here. So I guess until next time, I'm Jesse. I'm Dan. And we'll see you next time on Increased Capacity. See you later. Mm-hmm.